think I'm ready for worship now. Thank you all for sharing with us your talents every week. Well, today we return to our book of Ephesians. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Or a circular letter, depending on how you, you read it. But it basically went to these Gentile churches in Asia Minor. Um, as we're continuing off of last week's sermon about exercising your spiritual muscles, uh, we now change, uh, not really course, but we talk about a new topic. It's the topic of unity. And unity is about coming together. But unity for Paul is not conformity. It's about joining different individuals, different abilities, different types, all together under one lordship, and it's the lordship of Christ. So if you will, uh, find Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bible, and we will start in verse 8. Now let's look at this. Starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us this. When he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same who also ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery or their craftiness and deceitful scheming. And it goes on, it says, but speaking the truth in love is the context of that verse. And also on the first front end of it, in verse 7, which we didn't cover, Paul tells us, but each was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So that is the context of our scripture today. He's talking about the work of the church and how everything came to be, about the mystery of how Christ works in and through people. And he talks about it in a way that sometimes we don't grasp. This whole section about ascending and descending, we, we kind of can miss because we are, I guess, modern people with modern sensibilities. We don't think in these big schemes of, of cosmic battles, but then Paul is talking about a cosmic scene here. It is much bigger than just our every ordinary life. Towards the end of Ephesians, he'll talk about putting on the full armor of God because we are indeed at war. We battle every day. And this is about preparing our armory, army for victory because this war is not just fought against one another or against our enemies, against those who would be uh, against Christianity, those who may persecute us. But it's fought on a spiritual level. And in this cosmic scene, we see that Christ is supreme. He is supreme on earth. And he is supreme in heaven. And he's even supreme to the demonic forces of hell. This is a much broader spectrum than sometimes we will see. For many times that we want to see that, you know, there's demons inside of us. We use these expressions when we talk about things that we are tempted with and struggle with overcoming. 
but there are true forces that are at work against us to strafe, to push us off the path so that we may fail, that we may somehow lose Christ's place in our life. But Paul starts off this section, don't worry, the same Christ who I saw, the same Christ who many of you may have heard, who was on earth, who was rose again, not only defeated death for you, but he descended into the lower regions and defeated hell itself through his resurrection. And he ascended back to heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father. This is a big cosmic picture. If you think your fight's just here on earth, you're missing a little bit. It's much bigger than us, much bigger than our time. We are talking about eternity, past, present, future, all wrapped into one. But Paul's audience knew this. They come from this pagan world. And in their vision, when they talk about gods and stuff, think about all these movies that have become popular today. You know, Thor, Ragnarok, you know, all these kind of things, these Marvel comets play into them greatly. This was the life that they came through from these gods warring with one another to, to have victor or control over this earth. This is what they were envisioning. And so as he writes these words, he's given them great com comfort. You know, they may have had Thor and the great hammer and all this kind of stuff, but we have Christ who defeated even that. And so as he says, be confident in Christ's supremacy. Live in unity. Be one another. Come together. But he didn't say everyone is going to be the same. We're all going to have the same gifts. We're all going to have the same strength because Christ lives in us. It's not what he's, Paul is saying here. But he's saying, think about it. Christ is the ultimate victor. He has supremacy over all. Heaven and hell even earth itself. And he created an army to go do war and battle for him. So that's what this imagery is. It is taken from one of the Psalms where it depicts Christ or God as this divine warrior who goes into the enemies and frees them from captivity from the times of exile. God walks in and makes the enemies captive. And he frees them and he gives gifts to the people in order that they may thrive and have peace and security and comfort. And he prepared them for what was next. He goes on to say that he, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. These were the foundational leaders of the church. And for Paul, an apostle, it was very important that they understood that there were people that God placed in their lives for this very moment. These apostles were sent ones. They were messengers who were sent on behalf of God. Now, there were other apostles or envoys during Paul's day, and it was a title that would have been led to basically a representative of a king or an emperor or or Caesar, whatever you'd call it, and they would have the full authority of the one who sent them. Whatever you did to them, you might as well have done to the king itself. So if you were an apostle and you came in and the people didn't like it and they had you killed, 
that was as if you assassinated their leader, and that would have been an ultimate charge against them. That would have led to war. And these apostles would be equivalent today to kind of our missionaries. They are sent on behalf. They were a foundational figure. For many of these had walked and talked and slept and bled and were hungry and traveled and all of this with Jesus Christ himself during his earthly ministry. They were those 12 disciples who then became apostles because they were no longer there to just learn, but to go and be a representative for Christ himself on earth. And many of these apostles spread out. They founded churches in Jerusalem. And as Paul went on his missionary journeys, he founded uh, churches in other places. And there were other apostles of the early churches who went on these missionary movements to found these places. So that there may be churches that have heard the gospel. Not only that, he also sent evangelists, those proclaimers of the truth. Those that would just go and preach because they had heard what these apostles were saying and they heard that it was true. And they went and they were proclaimers of Christ, proclaimers of the good news of the gospel themselves. And this says, and to others, pastors and teachers, this is what we're more familiar with today. For this church was founded many, many years ago. I got a coffee mug that celebrates one of those milestone anniversaries. Thank you for those who bought, bought too many for the church for their, their delivery. If you paid one, thank you. I got mine for free. But there were some that came a long time ago to found these places. There were these important figures. There were leaders of the churches who were more evangelical more outspoken to the big crowds and these kind of things. But there's ones who settled and started. But then there's others that will come, will be pastors and teachers. These are the ones who sustain the congregation. These foundational members spend the time in the word. And that's one reason you set apart your budget so that you may hire ministers so that they can spend their days studying and planning and leading to develop this congregation. We set aside that time so that they may have it. Because I was once a working man and I volunteered in church. And I know how after working a 60-hour week and then spending time and volunteer, how much you can actually put in. But you, though you have a longing to prepare and prepare, there's only so many hours a day. Especially if you're raising children. You need some of those set aside that will give us the resources that we may do our work. Whether Sunday school teachers, I mean, think about the complex web of how we get our resources today. So if you teach Sunday school, some of you go on your own and you do your own studies and your own thing. And that's great if you have the gifting and the ability and the time to do so. But most of us use these things called quarterlies. Now, I will admit quarterlies aren't always the best thing in the world. Raise your hand if you agree. Now, some of you probably should have raised your hand because you agree with that statement, but you didn't. But these quarterlies are written by people who have spent time in seminaries or uh, doctorate programs or who are gifted writers and studiers of the scripture so that they may prepare a lesson that you may bring and talk about in your gatherings. There's a lot of time resources. You've got printers and you've got 
deliveries and you got uh, secretaries who receive packages from the UPS and they sort it out so that you may have, have all these. But there's a lot of things just to get that piece of literature in front of you. We live in a nation where we have freedom of religion and because of that we have all these resources to come here. Now many times I have found when I was teaching Sunday school that the lesson in the quarterly would not be very good. It would be corny at best. And sometimes in the corniness, we had some of the best discussions because what was presented there wasn't what we needed that day. But it sparked a conversation so brothers and sisters could talk about the needs in their community and how God works and carries on. Because all these resources don't mean a thing if it's not growing us to maturity. And so we look to the pastors and the teachers for this advice. Because there are foundations of a gathering just like the apostles who founded that church long ago and the evangelists who go out to spread the gospel who will gather more into the congregations you have the teachers to sustain them and the pastors to to minister to them but this wasn't about the foundational leaders of a church that were all the gifts it was so that they could equip the saints for the work of ministry who are the saints? Do you know Jesus Christ? I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise it. I see most hands are here. You are the saints who are being equipped for the work of ministry. You're going to go home and say, hey, the pastor said I was a saint. And you're right. But we don't think that way, do we? You know, we write our tithe checks and donations so that these foundational leaders will have time to set aside to do all this stuff for us. But many times in our materialistic culture, we have specialties. I mean, if you've gone to the doctor lately, what did they do for you? Well, if it was something simple, they just wrote you a prescription, you went on your way. But if it was something complex, they referred you to a specialist who would refer you for test where the labs were specialized in those tests whether the MRI CAT scan blood work all these kind of things there was different people who were specialized in this one thing and sometimes if it gets really complex and your, your disorder is not what they've seen before they will refer to you to a team of specialists to work over your overall care you really don't want that because that means you're really bad sick But this isn't about specializing as a Christian leader. We do have these specialists in our congregation, but they are to serve you, the saints, so that you may be equipped for the work of ministry. You know, think about one of these big Billy Graham crusades back when those were the, the things to do. How much work went into those? Did Billy Graham do all that planning? No. He may have had the vision, but he had other leaders that came under him. And he had local areas that would come under to host these campaigns. And there was planning, there was training, there was resources to be raised because these things weren't cheap. I mean, go back and watch some of the old tapes. Look at all the sound equipment and lighting and security and all this that went into it. These things were not cheap at all. They served its purpose and its time. 
and it drew many to Christ. I'm afraid those days are starting to, to disappear, though. But guess what? God gave some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We can't just raise a bunch of money and volunteer to do a couple things here and there. Because it's our job to do it. As Baptists, we believe in a thing called priesthood of all believers. That means those who have experienced the Holy Spirit and have found a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We are called to do, be God's hands and feet in this place that we call home, wherever Christ may lead us. We have something to do. We are his representatives. We gather today, not just to feel better about ourselves, not to hear some cheery sermon that just elevates us to a new kind of knowledge, Gnosticism, these kind of things. But we gather together so that we may grow. If we use church words, we talk about the statue of Christ or sanctification, Christ likeness. We gather so that we may become more and more like Jesus. Now, some of us resist that because being more and more like Jesus changes who we are, what we do, how we live. We don't want to change. Even though we know we should, we don't. But that's one reason we gather is so that we may experience change. Because if you are satisfied with how you are today, you need to pray about that. Because we have never reached the climax of our life until we see Jesus Christ face to face. We long for that day, as Paul will say. But if we still take breath on this planet Earth, God has something for us to do. Now, over the course of our life, that will change. Think about as a child is raised. In infancy, they don't do much, do they? They require more work than they do when they are a toddler, or an adolescent, or a young adult. But think about that life. There will be times where people will tend to you because you can't do it for yourself. That gives others opportunity of service where you may have none. Many times we are resistant to people serving us. That we say, no, we can do it on our own. But Christ put those in this congregation and in this world so that they may serve us. It is not about getting things or manipulating people, but it is about letting people do what God called them to do. But we don't spoon feed people all of our lives, do we? I mean, think about uh, one of my kids. I, I have a newborn at home. Sierra Mia, they don't go home and nurse for their lunch, do they? That would be absolutely disgusting, wouldn't it? <laughs> yep, rolling their eyes. But y'all know what we're talking about. You don't stay where you're at. There's always a next phase. Sometimes the next phase may be stepping down from your leadership position so that the incoming generation will have that opportunity. But if you are called to step aside from what you are doing, you are also called to lead the next one so that they may have success. It is always about moving past where we're at, about growing to maturity, about building in Christ likeness. 
And Paul says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery or by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. If we were making a modern translation of this scripture today, Paul may say to not be swayed by fake news. That's what he's talking about. Where do you get your information? Is it from a sound source? Can you trust it? Is it from a source that you've gotten all your life? Is it still the same? Is it a value? If we're talking about our political news, there is not one safe source to get it. You can Google, there are now algorithms that show how politically conservative our liberal news medias are. There's a few in the middle, but most lean right or left. If you're only getting one source for your news, you can't trust it. It may be what you want to hear because they cater to their markets. If you like everything the person says on the newscast, you need to change the channel. Because if you are looking the state of our world and you are happy with what you're hearing, you are not very involved. You are not very invested with the state of our world. Because the more and more I watch the news, the more and more I realize that the devil is winning this side of heaven. His dominions are on the loose and there is a war. And right now he is winning the battle. For people, mass murder is not unusual anymore. Neglected children is not unusual. Prostitution is not unusual. Human trafficking is still going on in our country that we have said we have abolished slavery. It still is prevalent in our world. But the devil hasn't won and he is not truly winning because Christ has given gifts to his church. He gave foundational leaders so that we may grow in maturity, so that we may not be swayed by fake news, so that we may have a sound doctrine built on the word, built on the witness of scripture, and so that we may not be deceived. Because if your knowledge is not built up on Christ, you will be victims to the doctrines of the most poetic speakers, the most charismatic speakers will lead you to their camp. There will be trickery. There are schemes. You know, the more and more I hear about fake news, the more and more I decided that it's not the fake news that is the problem. It is the struggle for the power of who controls information. For that is what the battle is about. Is whoever controls the information controls the message. Whoever is controlling the message can control the people. So are you listening to the message that our world is given to you? Are you listening to the message of Christ? The message that Paul is sharing with the people so that you may be immune to this world. That you may be immune to what they are calling. Because that's what it's about, is about the power of information. That is one reason that we have received the gift of God's word. It is the information that is infinite. It is all lasting because it is empowered by the spirit. So that we may be fully equipped. Ready to do battle. But it's not about those few foundational leaders. They are there to equip you. 
They are there to prepare you for the work of ministry. It's like we talked in the children's message about a football game and all that goes on. Let's look what all that goes on in a church. There are many, many positions that you may fill. From those that have more prestige, a deacon, Sunday school teacher, a leader on a committee or a council, because your name is written in, in, on paper. It is voted on. It is approved. You have been given credentials to do what you do. And we need those people. We need those who will take leadership roles, who will take time out of their day for planning and for developing and growing themselves just as much as they try to grow you. But there are so many people that are involved in the production of this church that will never have their name on papers. The prayer warriors, some of them were the active ones that had their names on rolls for years and years and that they were in leadership positions, but their bodies are starting to change on them. They can't do what they once did, but they are faithful in praying for each and every one of you. They gather on Sunday mornings and weekdays to pray over our youth, over our children, over our graduating seniors, over those who are attending public schools, over those who are in private schools, for those who have now been in the hospital or in nursing homes, for those who are working every day, they are the prayer warriors that sustain us, whether you know them or not, whether you've ever heard their prayers. Maybe you received a letter that signed everyone who was there. Those are some special prayers. Maybe you didn't know somebody was praying for you. They are. We need them more than we need anything else. But we also need those who like kids, who will play with a child, to encourage them, to change diapers, to be with them so one day that they may see them in a new light. We need those who will work with our youth Church, this is the most important time of a person's life. Because what you do in high school, in college, in many ways will set you on a trajectory for your entire life. Whether what you thought you were going to do is what you end up doing. Being able to have someone pour into your life to help you realize that just because one door is shut, more doors will be open for you. And maybe that shut door in your life was actually a blessing. Because I've looked back on the history of my life, and I see every shut door now is a blessing. As though it was painful at the time, I see those doors led to other doors that led me ultimately here today. Because God had sent some to be apostles and evangelists and pastors and preachers so that they may equip others who lived into my life. It's not these foundational leaders that meant so much to me as I grew, but it was the others, these saints, these y'all, who led me where I am today. I wouldn't have been there if I was tossed to and fro by every doctrine that comes out. For there's some folks that gather week after week 
and they practice certain doctrine that I don't even know how they call themselves Christian. They're not the ones that scare me as much, the ones that are almost there. It is, they are almost orthodox. They are almost right. They're the ones that are the most dangerous. For they appear to be genuine. But they are these false teachers who will be on the prowl, looking to devour you. So that is why we've come here today, so that we may be equipped. But God sent Christ to be born of a virgin, to live a life just like everyone else, to live a sinless life, so that he may be the perfect sacrifice, and that he gave it up freely on the cross for each and every one of us. But when he gave up his life, he didn't just stay dead. He descended into the lower regions only to conquer death itself and to come back and empower the church, empower the apostles, these evangelists, these pastors, these teachers to carry on his mission that carries on still today. And he ascended back to heaven to prepare a place for us. This new heaven, this new earth, this new Jerusalem so that we all may find our peace have our hope that when the enemy is on the prowl and when it looks like the score is leaning in their favor that we know Jesus Christ is in control we have already won the game but we still will struggle because we are not yet there we are not fully in the image of Christ but we long day after day to be there so let me challenge you this week. If God has been laying on your heart a way to serve, don't just sweep it under a rug. Follow it. It may not be exactly what you're thinking today, but if he's laying on your heart to do something, there is something for you to do. And it may be to prepare for the next person to do it. For every new ministry takes planning. And for everything there is a time and there is a season. And sometimes it may just be simply, I think God is wanting us to move in this direction. What do we need to do next to head there? But each and every one of you have been given different talents. Some of it is in coaching. Some of it is in teaching. Some of it is in praying and giving. If you have the, the talent of making lots and lots of money, it is so that you may have the resources to help others in the cause of Jesus Christ. I wish we had more of those in this church than we do. It always makes budgeting easier. But I've seen Christ work with little to no resources. Took a couple loaves of bread and some fish, fed the multitude. So it's not just about money. It is about the willingness to listen and to be open to the power of the Spirit living in your life. So let us close with a word of prayer.
Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for today. We are thankful for your servants that came before, those foundational members who heard your word and left what they were doing to plant a church and to grow this church. And to those who came before us who planned and who built and prepared spaces so that we may come and congregate and worship you freely. Lord, I thank you for them. But your message isn't just for the gathered assembly. It is for the lost that are in need of a savior. For some of us, we will be called to stay in these doors, in these walls, all the days of our life. But for others, you have planned great adventure for them. Lord, I ask you open their hearts so that they may understand your message. Because it is through the heart that you give strength to our hands and to our feet. Ask that you burden those today that you are calling to service. But they keep putting it off for one reason or the other. If they are not active in one way, give them something to do. For there's more than more than enough work to go around. Lord, be with us as a gathered assembly, but also walk with us as we leave these doors. Keep us safe, watch over us. Open our eyes that we may see your plan right there in front of us, so that we may be your hands and feet in this community, in this place that we call home. It is in your name we pray, amen.